Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States opinion in Shoup v. Hill on petition for writ of certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, decided January 7, 2019. It's another per curiam opinion. The United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit held that Respondent Danny Hill, who has been sentenced to death in Ohio, is entitled to habeas relief under 28 U.S.C. 2254 D. 1 because the decisions of the Ohio courts concluding that he is not intellectually disabled were contrary to Supreme Court precedent that was clearly established at the time in question. In reaching this decision, the Court of Appeals relied repeatedly and extensively on our decision in Moore v. Texas, 2017, which was not handed down until long after the state court decisions. The Court of Appeals' reliance on Moore was plainly improper under 2254 D1, and we therefore vacate that decision and remand so that Hill's claim regarding intellectual disability can be evaluated based solely on holdings of this court that were clearly established at the relevant time. In September 1985, 12-year-old Raymond Fife set out on his bicycle for a friend's home. When he did not arrive, his parents launched a search, and that evening his father found Raymond, naked, beaten, and burned in a wooded field. Although alive, he had sustained horrific injuries that we will not describe. He died two days later. In 1986, respondent Danny Hill was convicted for torturing, raping, and murdering Raymond, and he was sentenced to death. An intermediate appellate court also affirmed his conviction and sentence, as did the Ohio Supreme Court. We denied certiorari. Hill v. Ohio, 1993. After unsuccessful efforts to obtain post-conviction relief in state and federal court, Hill filed new petitions in the Ohio courts contending that his death sentence is illegal under Atkins v. Virginia, which held that the Eighth Amendment prohibits the imposition of a death sentence on a defendant who is mentally retarded. In 2006, the Ohio trial court denied this claim. And in 2008, the Ohio Court of Appeals affirmed State v. Hill. In 2009, the Ohio Supreme Court denied review. In 2010, Hill filed a new federal habeas petition under 28 U.S.C. 2254, seeking review of the denial of his Atkins claim. The district court denied the petition, but Sixth Circuit reversed and granted habeas relief under 2254 D1, which applies when a state court adjudication, quote, resulted in a decision that was contrary to or involved in an unreasonable application of clearly established federal law as determined by the Supreme Court of the United States, end quote. See Hill v. Anderson. The Sixth Circuit found two alleged deficiencies in the Ohio court's decisions. First, they overemphasized Hill's adaptive strengths, and second, they relied too heavily on adaptive strengths that Hill exhibited in the controlled environment of his death row prison cell. 
In reaching these conclusions, the court relied repeatedly on her decision in Moore v. Texas. The court acknowledged that ordinarily, Supreme Court decisions that post-date a state court's determination cannot be clearly established law for the purposes of federal habeas statute. But the court argued that Moore's holding regarding adaptive strengths was merely an application of what was already clearly established by Atkins. The state filed a petition for a writ of certiorari, contending that the Sixth Circuit violated 2254 D1 because a fundamental underpinning of its decision was Moore, a case decided by this court well after the Ohio court's decisions. Against this, Hill echoes that the Court of Appeals' argument that Moore merely spelled out what was already clearly established by Atkins regarding the assessment of adaptive skills. The federal habeas statute, as amended by the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996, AEDPA, imposes important limitations on the power of federal courts to overturn the judgments of state courts in criminal cases. The statute respects the authority and ability of the state courts and their dedication to the protection of the constitutional rights. Thus, under the statutory provision at issue here, 28 U.S.C. 2254 D1, habeas relief may be granted only if the state court's adjudication resulted in a decision that was contrary to or involved in an unreasonable application of Supreme Court precedent that was clearly established at the time of adjudication. See White v. Woodall, Metrish v. Lancaster. This means that the state court's ruling must be so lacking in justification that there was an error well understood and comprehended in existing law beyond any possibility for fair-minded disagreement. Harrington v. Richter. We therefore consider that the established, clearly established, we therefore consider what was clearly established regarding the execution of the intellectually disabled in 2008 when the Ohio Court of Appeals rejected Hill's Atkins claim. Of course, Atkins itself was on the books, but Atkins gave no comprehensive definition of mental retardation for Eighth Amendment purposes. The opinion of the court noted that the definitions of mental retardation adopted by the American Association on Mental Retardation and the American Psychiatric Association required both sub-average intellectual functioning and significant limitations in adaptive skills such as communication, self-care, and self-direction that become manifest before age 18. The court also noticed that state statutory definitions of mental retardation at the time were not identical, but generally conformed to these clinical definitions. The court then left to the state's the task of developing appropriate ways to enforce the constitutional restriction that the court adopted, quoting Ford v. Wainwright. More than a decade later, we expound on the definition of intellectual disability in two cases. Hall v. Florida, we considered a rule restricting Atkins to defendants with an IQ test score of 70 or less, 
we held that this rule violated the Eighth Amendment because it treated an IQ score higher than 70 as conclusively disqualifying and thus prevented consideration of other evidence of intellectual disability, such as evidence of defects in adaptive functioning over the defendant's lifetime. Three years later and more, we applied Hall and faulted the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals for concluding that the petitioner's IQ scores, some of which were at or below 70, established that he was not intellectually disabled. We also held that the CCA improperly evaluated the petitioner's adaptive functioning. It erred, we concluded, in overemphasizing petitioner's perceived adaptive strengths, despite the medical community's focus on adaptive deficits. We found that the CCA also went astray in stressing petitioner's improved behavior in prison, even though the medical community cautioned against reliance on adaptive strengths developed in a controlled setting, such as prison surely, as prison surely is. In this case, no reader of the decision of the Court of Appeals can escape the conclusion that it is heavily based on more, which came years after the decisions of the Ohio courts. Indeed, the Court of Appeals, in finding an unreasonable application of clearly established law, drew almost word for word from the two statements and more quoted above. Contrary to Atkins, the Ohio courts overemphasized Hill's adaptive strengths and relied too heavily on adaptive strengths that Hill exhibited in the controlled environment of his death row prison cell. In doing so, they unreasonably applied clearly established law. Although, the Court of Appeals asserted that the holding in Moore was merely an application of what was clearly established by Atkins, the Court did not explain how the rule it applied can be teased out of the Atkins Court's brief comments about the meaning of what it termed mental retardation. While Atkins noted that the standard definitions of mental retardation included as a necessary element significant limitations in adaptive skills, that become manifest before the age of 18. Atkins did not definitively resolve how that element was able to be evaluated, but instead left its application in the first instance to the states. Moreover, the posture in which Moore reached this court, it did not arise under the AEDPA, and the Moore majority's primary reliance on the medical literature that postdated the Ohio court's decisions provide additional resources to question the Court of Appeals analysis. See Kane versus Chappelle. Because Moore is not an AEDPA case and was decided just this spring, Moore itself cannot serve as a clearly established law at the time of the state court decided Kane's claim. That was part of Kane versus Chappelle. The centrality of the more the centrality of more in the Court of Appeals analysis is reflected in the way in which the intellectual disability issue was litigated below. The Atkins portion of Hill's habeas petition did not focus on 2254 D1, the provision on which the decision below is based. Instead, it began and ended with the appeals to a different provision of the habeas statute. 2254 D2, which supports relief based on a state court's unreasonable determination of facts. In particular, 
Hill opened with the claim that the Ohio court's findings on adaptive functioning were an unreasonable determination of the facts in light of the evidence. And he closes with the claim that the state's trial court's assessment that he is not mentally retarded was based on an unreasonable determination of facts. Indeed, Hill's reply to the state's answer to his petition explicitly concurred that it's proper to review his Atkins claim under 2254 D2. And so, unsurprisingly, the district court analyzed Hill's Atkins claim solely under 2254 D2, noting that, as Hill concedes in his traverse, his Atkins claim is more appropriately addressed as it relates to the Ohio Appellate Court's factual analysis under 2254 D2. Hill pressed the same 2254 D2 argument in his opening brief in the Sixth Circuit. There he argued that the state court's findings on adaptive functioning was an unreasonable determination of the facts. As such, the state court's findings of facts that Hill is not mentally retarded constitute an unreasonable determination of the facts in light of the evidence presented. It appears that it was not until the Court of Appeals asked for supplemental briefing on Moore that Hill introduced the 2254 D1 argument that the Court of Appeals adopted. Although, as noted, the Court of Appeals ultimately disclaimed reliance on Moore it explicitly asked the parties for supplemental briefing on how more should be applied to this case. Because the reasoning of the Court of Appeals leans so heavily on more, its decision must be vacated. On remand, the court should determine whether its conclusions can be sustained based strictly on legal rules that were clearly established in the decisions of this court at the relevant time. The petition for certiori and Hill's motion for leave to proceed in form of Paperis are granted. The judgment of the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit is vacated, and the case is remanded for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. It is so ordered. That again was a per curiam opinion. If you'd like to reach the podcast, we can be reached at Rhodes, R-O-A-D-S, Scholar 8080 at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.